when the perishable puts on in the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to tell you a story real quick about yesterday. It was a crazy day. Uh, for us here at Gospel Fellowship PCA. Started off super normal. In fact, the morning was so quiet that uh, we barely even talked to each other much in the office, just no phone calls, nothing like that. And then Pastor David and I, we were going to go out on a brief visit. We've been collecting some school supplies and we're going to take them out to a local place where perhaps some folks have some need of things like that. And uh, what happened is that when Pastor David and I were on the way, we ran into a traffic accident. In fact, it's one of those accidents where the police are not there yet, the fire department is not there yet, the ambulance is not there yet. And so I pulled over right quick. I was driving and I said to David, hey, let's get out and see if we can do anything. And we walk up to the scene and it's just a mess, just a heartbreaking mess. We've got two cars that are completely demolished. Uh, one's on the other side of the road. It is totally smashed in and the other more like an SUV on our side of the road, flipped on its side. And so David and I, my associate pastor and I, we approached the vehicle nearest to us. And um, we could tell that this is just going to be a horrific scene of bodily harm. And so we approached the vehicle. A couple other people are already there at that moment, uh, but no professional personnel yet. And we could just, looking into the vehicle, totally demolished and... Uh, this poor, poor woman had a mangled arm. She was unconscious. She's bleeding from the face. And not only that, uh, from the face, but not only that, but the car is tipped precariously on its side. And her body is sort of hanging out, out the window. And it was only that the airbag was holding her in that she didn't uh, fall underneath the car. And it could have tipped at any moment, either this way or that, and would have been an even worse disaster. From the other side of the road, people are shouting to us that the man is losing consciousness. He's passing in and out of consciousness. I do not know what happened to him. And so for about 20 agonizing minutes, um, we stood there mostly helpless. I went up to the window of the vehicle. Nobody wanted to touch the car lest it fall again, either this way or that way. <clears throat> and so the only thing that David and I could do is pray. And so I got down on my hands and knees. I got as close to her. Um, head as I possibly could and I just began to whisper to her assurances of the love and the, the sovereignty of God um, didn't know what else to do other than pray the Lord's Prayer with this person I, she's hanging precariously in the balance between life and death I do not know what happened to her after that finally after many agonizing moments the professionals arrive and they begin to cut her out of the vehicle with the jaws of life just a terrifying scene and uh, for those of you who've been in a situation like that, hearing these agonizing cries of a person who is just in pain and is in mortal danger is just heart-wrenching, and I cannot get those sounds out of my out of my mind throughout all last night, through the night, and into this morning. Still thinking about that, feeling utterly helpless, wishing we could do something, and yet not being able to do anything other than to pray. And I, I do thank God that um, if she died, and I don't know if she lived or died that I was there to be right by her side and to, to pray with her and to speak words of, of life, perhaps, of, of Christ over her as, as she's passing. 
Um, and so that was one thing. And then later on that evening, I had kind of an important meeting to go to. And then I found out that our ladies had a Bible study here at, at the church, Gospel Fellowship PCA. And the, as they're leaving the Bible study, literally leaving the church property, they uh, go down the street and see a man lying on the ground. Again, another near-death situation. And so uh, to make a long story short, they come to find out that two people had apparently OD'd in the house, two bodies, and one police officer trying to administer CPR. And so the ladies from our church, praise God, some of them had some medical training. Don't want to get into too many of the specifics here, but they had some medical training and were able to, in those moments, provide some what I think is life-saving CPR to these these people that are in a, in a woe-be-gone situation. And so what started off as just a basic a very mundane, run-of-the-mill, ordinary day in the office turned out to be the most incredible sequence of harrowing adventures. So literally seeing people either in the process of dying or perhaps close to dying is a, is a frightening thing. And so this afternoon, I, I have, I mean, what else can I talk about? I have to talk about life and death here for just a few moments. And so I want to I take a, a moment to welcome those of you who are new to this channel. My name is Matthew Everhart. I'm the pastor of Gospel Fellowship PCA. We're a Reformed Bible-believing church, very serious about Christ, the Great Commission, the Word of God, preaching, worship, all these things. We're just north of Pittsburgh if you happen to be looking for a church like that, and we meet that description. Love to have you come worship with us in real life at some point. Again, Gospel Fellowship PCA is the name of our church. So... Um, Having seen that, I, I I came home just kind of beside myself, feeling, you know, I mean, what else do you feel? You feel all kinds of things. You feel how thankful you are that you weren't in the accident yourself. You feel thankful that your family is safe. You come home, you wrap your arms around your babies, uh, you give your wife a kiss, you uh, embrace each other, you thank God for the gift of life. It's so brief, isn't it? I mean, James says in James chapter 4 that life is brief, it's like a mist, and the Bible has a number of analogies for the brevity of life, the beauty of life. Uh, Ecclesiastes talks about its vanity, which is a Hebrew word that, as far as I understand, it means something like a mist, and uh, it's here and then it's gone. And the Proverbs and the Psalms and the poetic books of the Old Testament, they often talk about life as being like an evening shadow, which is to say that uh, no sooner is it here, but it's gone. Uh, Try sitting in the sun in the evening sometime, and uh, you'll notice how quickly the sun goes down and the shadows lengthen and your sun is gone. The light of life ebbs from us quickly. Um, one of my favorite symbols is this, uh, this hourglass right here that some of you have commented on in my videos. I, I love the fact that the hourglass symbolizes the brevity of life. You've got certain time up here. Uh, the present is the middle of the channel and then the bottom is that which is already passed and you can't recover any of those grains of sand. And um, the only difference between the hourglass and your life is that in the hourglass at least you can see how much is left up in the top whereas with your life you have no idea. Uh, this could be your last day, this could be your last week, this could be your last Lord's Day coming up and, and not to be too macabre here or, or dour but um, Life is so beautiful and so short that we have to stop every once in a while and, and just think about how thankful we are to be alive. And 
I wanted to do something with you this afternoon for this video, and that is to talk a little bit about Jonathan Edwards and his resolutions. Uh, of course, you probably already know this, that I have a book coming out on Edwards' resolutions. It's called Holy Living, Jonathan Edwards' 70 Resolutions for Living the Christian Life, published by Hendrickson. And what I thought I'd do in this video is to read you one of the devotions that I wrote in this book. It's, it's part scholarly, part historical, part theological, and part, uh, part, partly devotional, to be honest. What I did is I went through all of the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards, and there are 70 of them. And I commented for a couple of pages on each one about Jonathan Edwards' particular life situation, um, some contemporaneous materials that he's writing, especially within his diary and his miscellanies, which he was composing at the same time, and then some encouragements for believers who want to think through these resolutions that Edwards wrote alongside of the great colonial Puritan Calvinist preacher, the famed preacher of Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. So the book is coming out in October 1st, and what I thought I'd do today, I don't think this is wrong or illegal, <laughs> at least as far as I know, is I'm going to read you some of some of the book. Now, it hasn't quite come out yet, and I will post a link in the description of this video. But this is from uh, the book, Holy Living, which is set to release in October and I wanted to read to you Resolution 9 and what I wrote about it. So I'm going to turn over to this computer right here and just and just read to you a little bit today. I know some of you don't watch the video anyway. Some of you tell me that you basically just listen to it while you're in the car. Uh, so let me focus my attention over here and read to you from my book Holy Living and commenting on Resolution 9. Resolution 9 says, Resolved to think much on all occasions of my own dying, and of the common circumstances which attend death. Now, a lot of the resolutions are very encouraging, very motivational, but this one, Resolution 9, Edwards is thinking about death, and he's only 19 years old when he's writing these. So let's hear, let's hear what it has to say. Many readers of the resolutions will find the ninth resolution dark, macabre, and possibly grotesque. Why, when many of these resolutions are so encouraging, uplifting and inspiring, would Edwards throw in something so dismal and despairing? In our day and age, one of the most depressing things we can think about is death in general and our own demise in particular. But this is not the only occasion that Edwards considered the concept of his death herein. Resolutions number 7 and 17 have already dealt with this topic explicitly, and others such as number 6 have done so by implication. The simple answer to the why question is that Edwards chose not to think of death as something to dread, to fear, or to loathe. In fact, he could even view it as something of a relief. Consider this entry from his diary, Sabbath morning, September 1st, when I am violently beset with worldly thoughts for a relief to think of death and the doleful circumstances of it. Isn't it interesting that Edwards thinks of his own death as a relief? especially when put into the context of whatever suffering he may be going through at that time. Going on with the book, all of our worries and anxieties have a way of shrinking to a proper proportion when placed against the stark reality that this life will one day be over. Actually, Edwards is on good biblical grounds to think of death in such defanged and declawed ways, since a major part of the Christian gospel is the defeat of death's terrors through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The apostle wrote, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. That's from 1 Corinthians, which I read at the opening of the video. 
the inevitable conclusion then is that through Christ's triumph over death, death at the tomb on the resurrection morning, and in the light of his having given the promise of an incorruptible life to believers, death has lost its terrifying power over Christians. Paul concludes rhetorically, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And again, that's 1 Corinthians 15, 54. Edwards rejoiced in these truths, even if they prompted some concerted meditation on this topic that seems to fly in the face of our modern obsession with health, youth, and vitality. But it isn't always easy, is it? In fairness, contemplations of death did prompt even more soul-searching and self-examination from Edwards as well, particularly when sleep eluded him. In another revealing diary entry, he wrote, and quote quotation here coming, Thursday morning, July 4, the last night in bed, when thinking of death, I thought, if I was then to die, that which would make me die, in the least degree, fearfully, would be the want of a trusting and relying on Jesus Christ, so distinctly and plainly, as have been described by the divines. My not having experienced so particular a venturing and entirely trusting on Christ, my soul on Christ, after the fears of hell and the terrors of the Lord, endured by the mercy, faithfulness, and promises, promises of God in the gracious invitations of Christ. Then I thought I could go out of the world as much assured of my salvation as I was of Christ's faithfulness, knowing that if Christ did not fail me, he would save me who had trusted in him on his word. Now, let me just pause here and interject something about the book. One of the things that I, I do try to explain, explain this throughout the book is that Edwards was at 19, 20 years old concerned about his own salvation. He's already writing great theological works, and he's already con, uh, considering a, a career, a vocation in pastoral ministry. He's even served as a preacher and a pastor to some limited degree at 19 years old. But he's concerned with his own salvation because his parents and the Puritans that had come before him had this sort of morphology of conversion where they didn't truly receive a person into the membership of the church until they were able to give their testimony in such a way with such ordered steps, including a conviction of sin, a terror of the law, and assurance of Christ, and so on and so forth. They had a number of steps set up, and I do explain this in the book. But Edwards's salvation experience did not seem to comport with what he was hearing from his father in particular and the, the Puritan divines in particular. So he, he is agonizing over whether or not he's truly saved. And basically, basically what he's saying here in this diary entry of July 4th is that it would be easier for him to think of death if he were absolutely sure that his salvation process had taken place according to this rubric or this morphology that the Puritans had kind of refined in order to test the listening to and the reception of conversion stories for the sake of church membership. Okay, so that's the context here. Going back to my words in the book. Although, once again, Edward seems to be questioning his spiritual condition based on the fact that his experience did not exactly match that of some of the older Puritan writers, the last line in this entry is particularly clear and helpful and probably represents his stronger moments of confidence. Edwards consigns himself to trust fully that Christ will not fail to give believers what he has promised in his word, complete victory over sin, guilt, fear, death, and the grave. Thus, the fears of hell and the terrors of the Lord, I always get a call right in the middle of my filming a video, don't I? 
<laughs> that's the fear. The, I don't have a production team or studio here. It's just me by myself. So that's why things always go wrong. Thus, the fears of hell and the terrors of the Lord are deluded and overwhelmed by the gracious veracity and entire trustfulness of our covenant-making God who does not lie and who promises to save those who trust in his Son. Even if Edward sometimes waffled as to his confidence in his own faith and his private thoughts and personal musings, the same young man was fearless and confident when preaching on death from the pulpit. Now, this is interesting because 19-year-old Edwards is preaching quite a bit, and he's far more confident and assured as a preacher than he is in his own diaries and prayers. In a late 1722 or early 1723 sermon called Christian Safety on the Security of the Believer in Christ, this 20-year-old Edwards compared the cowardice of the atheist to the boldness of the believer when confronted with the surety of their mortality. We might even read into these words a bit of a projected encouragement for himself in which he might cling in his weaker moments, even as he both preached the gospel and simultaneously clung to its promises. Here's a quote. The most bold and daring of sinners are the worst cowards upon a deathbed. How do they fear and tremble? How do they shrink back? How do their proud hearts tremble at the sight of his frightful face when those that they used to laugh at and ridicule as strict and precise that dared not swear or say anything and dare not behave so courageously as they used to yet can meet death as bold as lions because they know, they know they are safe and nothing can hurt them because they trust in God who they know is able to keep that which they have committed to him. And so Edwards compares the death of the believer. The believer can face death as bold as a lion, but the most boldened and hard-hearted atheists end up trembling like, like cowards when death comes. Indeed, going back to my words here, those who live now in the audacity of mockery and incredulity before the Almighty God are commonly reduced to trembling wimps at their deathbed. Yet those who tremble before God and his holiness in this life, clinging desperately to Christ as they remind themselves of his promises, go through the corridor of death as bold as a lion, Proverbs 28.1, when their time comes. Given Edwards' extraordinary regard for the holiness of God, no one could accuse him of being in the category of the former, and years later, at the actual moments of his death, he proved to be in the category of the latter. And so that's what I did there with resolution number nine. And the whole book essentially works that way. I take one of the resolutions. I compare it to several of the things that he writes in his diary and his sermons, especially those things uh, tied to that particular era, what I'm calling his early pastoral years, and trying to give some encouragement, albeit perhaps devotionally, to, to the reader. So there you go. Well, um, quite a day yesterday, and certainly one that I won't soon forget, I did go to, now there's the same person calling on my cell phone as now the church line. Somebody needs to get a hold of me. Um, I did go home, had dinner with my family, and had a talk with my kids. And I gave them the same encouragement that I'm going to give you as I close out this video, which is to say, you know, my, my children, they've grown up with a pastor as their dad. They've hardly ever missed a Lord's Day in their entire life. They've heard any number of sermons, Sunday school lessons, youth group devotions, missionary presentations, all that. And um, yet one day, despite all that, they too will face their own death. And I just had to talk about this honestly and, and clearly yesterday's family. And I told my kids, as I will tell you in this video, 
if you are afraid to die when the moment comes, cling now to the promises of Jesus Christ. He is a good Savior. He is kind. He is loving. He is just. And he is merciful. And he has provided for us in his life, death, and resurrection all of the means that we have to uh, overcome death and its terrors. Sin, death, hell, and the devil have all been disarmed and dismantled by Christ, who rose victorious from the grave. That is our hope. And this Sunday, as we preach through Isaiah 53, and we look at Christ and the spoils of his victory, uh, as he presents them to us through through his glorious resurrection, um, all of these things are ours, and so I want to just encourage you in the same. Well, thank you so much for, for watching this video. I do hope it was some amount of encouragement to you. If you liked what I wrote in uh, that sample of my book coming up, Holy Living, Jonathan Edwards' 70 Resolutions for Living the Christian Life, it is available on pre-order now. It's not coming out till October 1st. We're here in August right now, but you can pre-order it on Amazon.com. In fact, I'll post a link in the description of this video. Just toggle down, click on, and pre-order. By the way, if you like this cool shirt for the resol resol resolutions, I got these from a local screen printing company, very sweet people. And uh, because they gave me a bunch of shirts and stuff, I will post a link to their site in the description of this video as well. You can go to their own Facebook page and direct message them and just tell them you want the Edward shirt. They'll know exactly what I'm talking about. All right. Well, thank you so much for checking into this YouTube video. Do love you lots, and we'll talk to you later.